Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcast. I'm Al and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. Mm-hmm. This month we're discussing book 33, Going Postal. Yeah, we are. Is this your favorite one? Ooh, I don't know if it's my favorite one, but it's in my top three. It's, it's real, real close, I know. I love this book. Well, tell us what happens. Uh, Moist Von Lipwig saves the post office. Pretty good. Yep. Like, you wrote Moist saves the post office. I'm glad you clarified because I was going to call you out on that. But, yes, but, I was actually, ag- wait, believe moist? it or not, I was, was that, agonizing over that. That very common name. Yep. Moist. moist. Who else could it be? Yeah. Yeah. This, so this is the start of a new sub-series. Mm-hmm. This is like the first book of, of three of like, like Tiffany Aching is now a thing and mm-hmm. the watch books are still a thing and, and now there's these, which, you know, I of varying successes. You say this is the strongest of the three. I remember them all being about equal. I love this one very much i think the second one has quite a bit of retread uh where we go through some of the same kind of arc and the same emotional beats that we had in this one Mm -hmm. uh and it feels like some leftover notes that didn't make it into this book he's always done a yeah but i mean it also has probably the funniest moment let's not spend too much because when we get to it i want it to be Fresh and not something we've we've Already talked about talked a lot. About, yeah, but, but you are correct. It has one of the highlights of the series in it. Yes. And I still love all of the characters. I just felt like that was a weaker book. And then mm-hmm. the one after that is the train one. Mm-hmm. And that is ostensibly a, a moist book, but it's really more of a city book, like Unseen Academicals. Well, this one definitely has aspects of that, too. And actually, this dumps me right into mm-hmm. my good thing. I didn't quite intend to bring this up just yet. But, like, this is by far the best veterinary book so far. Oh, my God. So he, good. Like, after Moist, who is the main guy who we'll mm-hmm. get into in a second, it's a veterinary. But, like, he's yeah. the next main character after him. And we get so much of a bigger picture of how he runs the city. Like, yeah, we've we always get, heard. We get behind the curtains. We get yes. we get to see veterinary before he has one of his famous meetings. Like, yes. we normally see him over um, Vimes's, Vimes's shoulder. shoulders. Yeah. So we don't see him getting ready for the meeting. No, uh, veterinary's already yeah. prepared. But this is where it all comes from. This is how it all works. Mm-hmm. He's not magic. Like, Terry Pratchett's fleshing out something that he probably has always understood mm-hmm. as given. But he's showing us to prove, look, he puts in the work. I put in the work as a writer. I'm not just going to say this guy has all the answers always. I'm going to show you how he gets the answers. And it makes sense. Yeah. He's got this whole network of clerks or as as British clerks. Uh, yeah, narrators say clerks. And that always throws me because it's an E, clerk. Clerks. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, and dark clerks, which mm-hmm. doesn't really work as a rhyming thing in, uh, you know, if you're, if you're saying it the American way. Right. But... Uh, and those are the guys who are sort of spies and assassins and... Uh, we... But even you have like forensic accountants mm-hmm. and stuff like that too. Like the, the guys who brought down Capone kind mm-hmm. of guys. And Terry Pratchett is a big believer in the like uh, destructive power and the constructive power of bureaucracy mm-hmm. and of like... I call it the action bureaucrat because it's my favorite kind of like uh, uh, stock character that people don't always realize is a stock character. Well, we had uh, that character in the Vimes book recently uh, when he went to Uberwald, mm-hmm. who it was a stuffy little right, guy. Right. I think that, and he worked for Vetinari. Yeah. Is one and of the first yeah, ones was, we actually he saw. He was one of the dark clerks and right. uh, Vimes realizes it by throwing like a fruit at him and he, doesn't, right, 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 he deliberately right. doesn't catch it. And we will get the absolute best example of this in the next book, mm-hmm. which is... My favorite. Yep. Thud. Um, but here we get just a great, like, like how the network functions mm-hmm. and how, like, he runs things. And it culminates in him handpicking this this cad, mm-hmm. Moist von Lipvig, to run the post office. Because he's good at spotting people mm-hmm. and people who might not be sort of the obvious choice, but end up being the best choice. I mean, we've seen that through Vimes already. Exactly. Yeah, Vimes he... was already in the job, but he also isn't necessarily, by looking at him, the best choice to run a, what he runs. No, and Vetinari lifts him up. And yeah. uh, again, but he still as, as had he's it. kicking and screaming, trying yes. not to be. Every book ending with him like being mm-hmm. elevated to an even higher status that mm-hmm. he doesn't want. He does the same thing with Moist, mm-hmm. and it's kind of brilliant because he uses moist in this capacity and he would lose nothing if moist failed like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't matter 
he could just try someone else. No, and we also hear that Vetinari's put several Mm -hmm. postmasters in previously Mm -hmm. that did fail. And this feels like, okay, I need to switch up my thinking Mm -hmm. then. Don't put a career bureaucrat in there. Don't put a conventional clerk in there. Put in someone, okay, what do I need? What do I have? Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the, the the logic behind it. So let's really get into who Moise von Lipfig is. It's hard to really have any conversation without mm-hmm. first laying that groundwork. Right, because it's very much his Yeah, it's his book. book and, and all the everything is predicated on all of this. And he's actually my good thing. Okay. Um, Moist is one of my favorite Terry Pratchett characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has in this a story of redemption that I believe because he's a criminal who's redeemed, but he never loses the core of what makes him him. He's not changing as a person. He's changing how he acts. He's in a position where his uh, criminal tendencies mm-hmm. can be used to the advantage of the public good instead of just to go in his pocket. Exactly. But he's still the same guy. I think the progression from the beginning to mm-hmm. the end of this book like it's it's a very hard sell. It is. to have a character say I could escape but I'm staying. Like that moment I was waiting for it to feel unearned. It mm-hmm. felt like it felt totally natural. Like yeah, of course he's going to stay cuz look how great it is. Because he's built a life here now, a life that he enjoys that gives him all the stimulation he needs without having to go do crimes. Mm-hmm. He's in the public eye, and he is the biggest attention mm-hmm. whore in the world, mm-hmm. and he uses that. Like, so much of his criminal past is based on him being charming for a minute mm-hmm. and then fading into the crowd. But here, he gets to be in the spotlight all the time. Yep, and it's constant, constant stimulation for him. It's always, like, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Mm-hmm. And he's he talks about enjoying feeling the feeling of dancing down the avalanche as Mm -hmm. it goes and that's what it's like doing this job all the time right so he enjoys himself um so he's a con man Mm -hmm. uh that's what he was yeah we get large amounts of and in a good way yeah large amounts of it's spoon fed to us throughout the book it's not like a big chunk of exposition Mm -hmm. of his past like the different things that he did and the different ways that he cheated people yeah and it does it feels very natural because he's thinking about how it affects what mm-hmm. he's doing now right and how he he learns and he sort of grows a bit of a conscience throughout mm-hmm. the book um as he's because he can't just pick up and leave he has right. to see the consequences of his actions right and that helps him determine maybe i shouldn't do these things well the, i can't just run away there's a there's a big chunk of it and you selected this as one of your quotes mm-hmm. yes the yeah. the bit where he's challenged like i he says like i'm not a killer mm-hmm and, well, maybe you're not. Do you want to? Um, yeah, so I've got two long quotes right, this time. Right, but this, and, one, this uh, one is kind of germane to what we're saying right now. You lied to him. Are you allowed to lie, Mr. Pump? He said. And you can lower that arm, by the way. I have been instructed as to the nature of social untruths, yes. You were going to smash his brains out, said Moist. I would have endeavored not to, the golem rumbled. However, I cannot allow you to come to inappropriate harm. It was a heavy kettle. You can't do that, you idiot, said Moist, who'd noticed the use of inappropriate. I should have let him kill you, said the golem. It would not have been his fault. His head is not right. It'd be even less right if you walloped it. Look, I sorted it out. Yes, yes, Pump said. You have a talent. It is a pity you misuse it. Do you understand anything I'm saying? You can't just go around killing people. Why not? You do. The golem lowered his arm. What? said Moist. I do not. Who told you that? I worked it out. You have killed 2.338 people, said the golem. I have never laid a finger on anyone in my life, Mr. Pump. I may be all the things you know I am, but I am not a killer. I have never so much as drawn a sword. No, you have not. But you have stolen, embezzled, defrauded, and swindled without discrimination, Mr. Lipfig. You have ruined businesses and destroyed jobs. When banks fail, it is seldom bankers who starve. Your actions have taken money from those who have had little enough to begin with. In a myriad of small ways, you have hastened the death of many. You did not know them. You did not see them bleed. But you snatched bread from their mouths and tore clothes from their backs. For sport, Mr. Lipfig, for sport, for the joy of the game. Yes, so, so, so good. So good. Also, the voice on Mr. Pump is super. Oh, in the audiobook? Yeah. Yeah, quite good. 
Um, so yeah, there's a there's like that. I feel like that's his turning point. Yeah, because that sits with him, and he comes back to that he several keeps times. Talking about it, like he yeah. has a lot of self talk in this, mm-hmm. and he that keeps coming up. Yes, where he never thought of it that way before. And what's really nice, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. her in a minute, but uh, his his love interest, mm-hmm. if you will, his you know the woman that he's sort of uh, flirtingly sparring with. Yep. He tells her, he says straight up, like, I know I'm responsible for a hardship that you endured. Right. This is who I am. And just lays it all out to her. And that was such a nice swerve because so many old movies we watch, so many mm-hmm. stories even now would very easily just hold that in as his dumb secret for like a whole extra book. It's and, not. Ugh. And that's one of the things that I like about this book as well is the pace. We, When something is introduced, it then gets paid off pretty quickly. We don't yes. spend a lot of time stewing in it. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to Moist's character as well because everything in this is go, 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 go. And that's how Moist is. And that's how um, the pace of the book is. Yep. And I really like that. There's a lot of, like, I am, I was diagnosed ADHD, like, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, this is most of my life. I'm very aware of this. The, a lot of the stuff you look at in an ADHD person is in Moist. The mm-hmm. constant, like, chasing that dopamine rush, that mm-hmm. that that escalating, the you know, taking risks and all of that stuff. And always needing stimulation and not wanting downtime and all of that. It feels so... Like, something I can specifically relate to. And, like, something that I've talked about with various therapists right. over the years is the idea that ADHD is... is we're, People like us are fortunate that this is a malady that is, like, there are some drawbacks, but also it can be used to an advantage if you do it right. If you if you see, like, I am capable of doing these things that, that a neurotypical person isn't. And that reminded me of Moist as well. What we talked about a minute ago of like using those tendencies right, in for, a direction that yeah. is constructive instead of destructive. And I like all that. I found it very relatable. Also, Moist is one of the characters in these books that I think is like the sexiest. Uh-huh. And that probably has something to do with that. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the type of person I'm attracted to. Right. Um, so there you go. It's a little bedroom talk for the, all the folks out there we're in not, radio land. We're not recording in the bedroom anymore. <laughs> bedroom talk. Right. Um, Boners. Nailed it. Um, but yeah, I, I... When I read this book, and I've read this book a couple of times before. This I have maybe probably my... read this book six or seven times. See, I've read a couple of them that many mm-hmm. times. This one, maybe three. Mm-hmm. This might be my third time. And I like it okay. It, because we're in that late period where they're all pretty good. Yeah, none of them are bad from Yeah, this point. we've said this before. But these never really jumped out at me the way they did to you. Mm-hmm. And this time he really clicked with me. Mm-hmm. Whereas in previous, maybe I was trying to see what you see and I saw it. Or right. maybe I'm just in a different place now. I don't know. But I like it a lot more than I used to. Like it was a solid B before and mm-hmm. it's definitely higher than that now. Um, but I get, I get what he's all about. Also, Terry Pratchett, like there's so many... It's all the things he does well. Like, yeah. it's the crossroads of... Because he's about to go real serious and dark, I think, as he is diagnosed with his illness and starts dealing with some heavy shit in his life. The books start taking that tone, and yep. it doesn't bother me. But it's a definite but it was a shift. change. And the wacky gags mm-hmm. from before, and the social commentary, and the world building mm-hmm. all of those things are like completely firing on all cylinders here plus and the the characters the characters are all spot on yep and the prose the actual descriptive words are some of like there's some picking a quote this time yeah. was fucking impossible i agonized over it because there's so much great stuff there are lengthy passages mm-hmm. that are beautiful and i pointed a couple of them out to you and mm-hmm. i don't remember these specific ones like in the car when we were listening yeah. one day i was like this is this is just beautiful and it was nothing it was it could have been a throwaway it was talking about the lights twinkling on and off like they've got the lights right. oh, describing how the clacks how the clacks were right. and it could have been very mechanical haha mm-hmm. but it was or it could have been shorter yeah. or it could have been a joke but it was this this sweeping beauty and also 
watching Vetinari watch the city and watching his head go and then mm-hmm. watching the lights. And it was just, it was so good. It's so it many things. Good, good use of language, good mm-hmm. use of metaphor, good use of symbols, like all of the things. But there was also a point to it. There's yes. a character point for Vetinari mm-hmm. and there was a story point and there was an expository point. Right. And it was also beautiful. Like we've talked about this before. Terry right. Pratchett can do so many things at once without it being confusing right and with it also being a pleasing reading experience but like i say this is the this is the crossroads this is where all of it yeah like at various points throughout the series he's particularly good at one of them a little more than the other but here he's all of it across the board is just on and there's still some gags that feel like not in a bad way in a good way like they could be from like the first few books like when he was writing straight up comedy parody, right. there's still some super funny, just broad, in a, again, yeah. in a good way, not in a groaner way, just in a like, this is still really funny. Like, it's impressive because there's so much going on already. But then again, I don't usually call out the actual prose, like I say, just right. the, the beauty of the words. But there's a few passages in here that are just like some of the best stuff he ever wrote. And it's, it's, oh, it's so good. I love this book. Yeah, it's a it's a great yep. book. Um, so you you alluded to the fact in your in your passage mm-hmm. that you read that there are golems in this book. Let's oh, talk yes. about that. That's another thing that I love is because I love the golems. Every time they show up, I'm so excited. Well, it's it's more world building because he picks up with the concept of golems where mm-hmm. we left off at the end of Feet of Clay, and then builds on that. Right. It's they because uh uh what was that golem's name? I am forgetting his name. The one that's in the watch now. Dorful. Dorful. Thank you. I was just like, Pomp. No, that's, no, that's this, this, this one. one. The yeah. previous one. Yes, Dorful. And they even mention him. They don't mention him by name, but they say the watch has a free golem. Mm-hmm. But the idea at the end of that book, he says, I will pay for my freedom and then I will get a job and I will earn mm-hmm. money to free the next golem. And then the two of us will free the next one and so on and so on. We're like a year or two after that and it's already happening. Now there's the golem trust. And the whole point of the golem trust is it's a bunch of golems freeing other golems. Right. With like a human face. Yeah. Like an administrator, but it's still very clearly run by, you know, them as a collective. And it's very, very good. And, and they still have the long arguments over ethics that they did previously. What I love is all of that mm-hmm. means that he can work in some great philosophical stuff. Right. Like serious and funny. Because golems are all philosophers. That's right. what they do. There's a, right. a, a section where Moist is talking to Pump and Pump says um, that... The reason he's called Mr. Pump is because he was Pump 19. Yeah, pump is not a name. It's, it's a description. He just was underground just pumping and pumping and pumping for like like almost 300 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Moist asks him, Aren't you, doesn't that make you mad that you were stuck down there and forgotten about? And Pump says, no, it was useful work. And Moist That's says, what they're made for. Yeah, Moist is like, what? And he's like, and also it's quiet and it gives you a lot of time to think. And Moist asks, what about what? And Mr. Pump says, Pumping. Like, mm-hmm. just send the, like, that's... Yeah, it's that weird zen. Yeah. But what I also like is, in addition to that, like, it's also some of the best... Like, I'm I'm a much bigger science fiction fan than mm-hmm. I am a fantasy fan. I just always have been from minute one. Right. And Terry Pratchett tells better robot stories than some real robot stories that I've read. These, these allegories for robots act more like robots, and he tells more interesting stories with them. The... Nature of humanity mm-hmm. and the nature of consciousness and all of that stuff is so well expressed through these guys. And the thematic thing about being a hammer and yep. s- and the different what separates them from a tool is they need a day where they are not a hammer. Right, where they just be golems. And then he tied that together. I didn't see this coming, but he tied it together beautifully at the end when Moist says the same thing about himself. Yeah, he says that even though he is a bad man and he has done bad things... He won't do this because mm-hmm. he's not a hammer. He is not the villain. Reach your guilt. He is right. He's, he's not. A, he's he's, he's not, not an evil man. He's not built to be a criminal. He mm-hmm. has done crime, but that doesn't make him a criminal. Just like if you were built to do a job, that doesn't make you a tool. It just means you are capable of doing the job. And in a lot of these types of like, not necessarily this type of story, but there's a lot of storytelling right now about uh, like tragic white guy, uh, like like your Walter White. Mm-hmm. Guys who some of them get redemption, some of them don't. Some of them are 
irredeemable, all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. And when they do go through a redemption arc, a lot of the times I don't buy it. I'm like, you did terrible things. Fuck you. You're you're done. You're over. Um, well, the but... ones you and I have responded to the best, they don't. Yeah. Walter White didn't get redeemed. No, no, no. Tony Soprano didn't get redeemed. Neither did Bojack Horseman. <laughs> but, you know, the, hor- the horse from horsing around. Bojack Horseman yeah. absolutely belongs yeah, in no, that pantheon. Yeah, no, he 100% does. But, you know. but in a lot of those stories, like in a lot of that type of story where they it does become a mm-hmm. redemption arc, you don't really buy the redemption because feeling a little bad about all the terrible stuff you did, but still being like Jack Bauer from 24, like, yeah. fuck you. But um, with Moist, I believed it because we were very much in his head. Yeah. We saw him thinking about No, like I things. said, when he makes the decision to stay, it mm-hmm. felt, it didn't feel like, well, that's, we're at this part of the story. What it felt like was the natural thing he would, like, being inside his head the whole time, it just felt like that's where he is now. And he sort of started thinking along the lines that the golems did where, okay, if I did this many bad things, maybe I could get some points doing good things to uh-huh. sort of even it out. Like it, like good place, good right, place right. rules. Yeah, which um, is not exactly how it works. No, but. but it's if that gets him on the road to acting better. I, I don't know that he's necessarily looking at it that way. There might have been a little passage or two about that, but it's not a, a like a driving force. And I feel like Vetinari doesn't really like this is cynical, but it's also pretty on point. He doesn't really see the difference between a civil servant and a criminal. No, Vetinari is amoral. Like that's the point of him is he doesn't he he even plays that card in this book he's like i'm a tyrant i'm a tyrant yeah like you can't do this sure i can you got just because i run this place that like something that looks like a democracy doesn't mean it actually is and at any point i can exercise my power as your absolute ruler of tyranny yes he doesn't but he can but he can it's like the uh the agreement with the wizards they Mm -hmm. they have to pay taxes if they're ever asked but they'll never be asked to pay taxes and it all keeps going along just fine but it's it's similar to, like, the whole, and it started out as a joke, mm-hmm. like, way back in the first book, the, the idea of the Thieves Guild. Right. The idea of the Assassin's Guild. The fact that they are legal and that crime operates in a in a structured, controlled way, like, was funny. But now he's, like, we're in, in mm-hmm. like, book 33, he's really playing with, like, okay, what does that mean? And how would that extend to other things? Why couldn't we put a crazy con man in this position? No reason not to. If there are already thieves and assassins in reputable positions in the city. Um, But back to the golems. Um, There's one particular golem, and this is is my quote, and it is very long, and I apologize in advance. This is just going to be us reading, guys. Sorry. Sorry. I had two, and I decided on one. Um, I decided decided on two. That's fine. You do what you do. I don't, like, I don't necessarily want to just sit here and read. The whole time. If you want to, I'm not going to tell we're you. We're just your gonna. We're just gonna read this book. To, you guys, listen. We're just gonna read this book to you, and you should just listen. This is to the it. audio book delivered by us. Yes. Um. No. So, uh, after working with Mr. Pump for some mm-hmm. time, and originally, what happened is, uh, Vetinari sends him along as sort of his parole officer, right? As sort of moist, like keep an eye on him. But also, he works for the post office, and he can help out. But also, it's uh, the. A bunch of the previous postmasters have died, so right. So he wants to see. Also, what's going kind on. of a bodyguard, yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. But mostly, mostly to keep Moist from running away. The the cover story is bodyguard, yeah, because it's plausible, and he does do a bit of bodyguard, yeah. But it's yeah. mostly, mostly it's keeping Moist from running away, right? I mean, the passage you read was uh, him bodyguarding, was yeah. him protecting him, yeah. But uh, and it, the other passage I'm going to read is about him uh, running away, right? So. Um. But there's a the, once that works out, he and he meets uh, Adorabel, who we'll talk about more at length in a minute. Yep. But he goes to the Golem Trust, and he's like, "This Golem's working out pretty well. Can I hire some more like, to be postman?" Once he figures out like that's a thing you can do, these are perpetual work machines that need one day off a week, but otherwise they will work harder and nonstop, and they don't sleep, and they don't take lunch breaks, and they don't get eaten by dogs. Right. Exactly. So he hires them, and among the ones that he hires is one named Anghamarad. So here we go. Um, and he's he's talking to some of the other postmen. Uh, he said, what is a postman? A messenger, Anghamarad, said Miss Dearheart. Moist noticed that she spoke to golems differently. There was an actual tenderness in her voice. Gentlemen, he said to the postman, I know you feel, I was a messenger, Anghamarad rumbled. His voice was not like Mr. Pump's, and neither was his clay. He looked like a crude jigsaw puzzle of different clays, from almost black through red to light gray. And Hammerag's eyes 
Uh, unlike the furnace glow of those of the other golems, burned a deep ruby red. He looked old. More than that, he felt old. The chill of time radiated off of him. On one arm just above the elbow was a metal box on a corroded band that had stained the clay. Running errands, eh? said Grote nervously. Most recently I delivered the decrees of King Het of Thut, said Enghammerad. Never heard of any King Het, said Jimmy Tropes. I expect that is because the land of Thut slid under the sea nine thousand years ago, said the golem solemnly. So it goes. Blimey, you're nine thousand years old, said Grote. No, I am almost nineteen thousand years old, having been born in the fire by the priests of Upsa in the third ning of the shaving of the goat. They gave me a voice that I might carry messages of such things as the world made. Never heard of them either, said Tropes. Upsa was destroyed by the explosion of Mount Shiputu. I spent two centuries under a mountain of pumice before it eroded, whereupon I became a messenger for the fishermen kings of the Holy Ult. It could have been worse. You must have seen a lot of things, sir, said Stanley. The glowing eyes turned to him, lighting up his face. Sea urchins. I have seen many sea urchins. <laughs> and sea cucumbers. And the dead ships sailing. Once there was an anchor. All things pass. How long were you under the sea, said Moist. It was almost 9,000 years. You mean you just sat there, said Aggie? I was not instructed to do otherwise. I heard the song of the whales above me. It was dark. Then there was a net and rising and light. These things happen. Didn't you find it, well, dull, said Grote? The postmen were staring. Dull, said Enghammerad blankly, and turned to look at Miss Deerheart. He has no idea what you mean, she said. None of them have, not even the younger ones. So I expect you'll be keen. I expect you'll be keen to deliver messages again, then," said Moist, far more jovially, jovially than he'd intended. <laughs> the golem's head turned toward Miss Deerheart again. "Keen," said Enghammerad. She sighed. "Another tough one, Mister Moist. It's as bad as dull. The closest I can come is you will satisfy the imperative per to perform the directed action." "Yes," said the golem. "The messages must be delivered. That is written on my cam." That's the scroll in their heads that gives a golem his instructions, said Miss Deerheart, and in Hang Hammerhead's case, it's a clay tablet. They didn't have paper in those days. You really used to deliver messages for kings, said Grote. Many kings, said Hammerhead. Many empires, many gods. Many gods, all gone. All things go. The golem's voice got deeper, as if he was quoting from memory. Neither deluge, nor ice storm, nor the black silence of the nether shells, excuse me, nether hells, shall stay these messengers about their sacred business. Do not ask us about saber-toothed tigers, tar pits, big green things with teeth, or the goddess Zal. You had big green things with teeth back then, said Tropes. Bigger, greener, more teeth, rumbled Enghammerad. And the goddess Zal? Do not ask. There was a thoughtful silence. Moist knew how to break it. And you will decide if he is a postman, he said softly. The postman went into a brief huddle, and then Grote turned back to Moist. He's a postman and a half, Mr. Moist. We never knew. The lads say, well, it'd be an honor, sir, to work with him. I mean, it's like, it's like history, sir. It's like, well, I always said the order went back a long way, didn't I? Said Jimmy Tropes, aglow with pride. There was postman back in the dawn of time. And I could just go on like that forever. Oh, but... it's so good. And then they give him the uh, title of extremely senior postman. Yeah, like he's the most, yeah. the most senior postman. And it's, oh, it's so good. Oh, the golems are always so good. And I love that they've been around since yep. forever. And and he's touching on some like, uh, like the names are clearly sort of old Babylonian or right. old biblical or old. Like they feel, even if they're not actually like that, they feel like very old cultures that we know. Right. Which is a nice touch. The Mesopotamians. Yes. Um, but that's all very good. And unfortunately he ends up dying and uh -huh. he gets an excellent scene with death as well, where it's basically like, he wants to stay in the sands, and that's like no nobody does. They all want to move on. He's like, I want to not have to do anything. And there, there's no one to give him orders and nothing to do. And that's and the best. Like that's paradise for a golem. So then he's free. My work is over. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yep. It's all very good. And so sad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Adora Bell. Yes, let's talk about her. She is the head of the Golem Trust. Yep, and she uh, and Moist have one of the only really good courtships that Terry Pratchett ever does. I would agree with that. We've called out a few where they we wish they could have been yeah. better. And it was like some of them are like, okay, but this one's actually really good. Mm -hmm. um, she is the daughter of the person who came up with the clacks. 
Yeah, we've um, barely touched on the fact that this book deals with the clock. Oh yeah, a lot. right, and that. <laughs> right. But uh, and the they lose all their money uh, because they're scammed out of the the, the whole clacks. Mm-hmm. And she gets a job at a bank and then gets scammed out of money there by Moist. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a job with the Golems. And at this point, her whole life has been so. Um, so much she's had so much upheaval mm-hmm. and she was also born with the given the name Adorabel Deerheart which that's actually she, there's yeah. a there's a small passage that I like this will not be 50 pages like the last one um but there is a very good exchange that they yeah. have about this is when they first sort of connect right yeah and I will be reading that thusly as soon as I uh here we go this is when they first meet anyway how can I help you Mr. Von Lipvig said Moist he, and added Moist von Lipvig mm-hmm. to get the worst over with. But the woman didn't even smile. Lipvig, small town near Uberwald, she said, picking up a brick from the broken glass and debris on her desk, regarding it critically, and then turning to the ancient filing cabinet behind her and filing it under B, which is also a great yeah, stupid her joke. Brick. So mm-hmm. stupid. <laughs> Chief export, it's famous dogs, of course. Second most ex- important export, it's beer, except during two weeks of Sectoberfest when it exports secondhand beer, probably? I don't know. We left when I was a kid, said Moist. As far as I'm concerned, it's just a funny name. Try Adorabelle Deerheart sometime, said the woman. Ah, that's not a funny name, said mm. Moist. Quite, said Adorabelle Deerheart. I now have no sense of humor whatsoever. Which is very good. No, it reminds me a little bit of Cheery Little Bottom. Yes. Uh, where Vimes deliberately doesn't laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so she had no sense of humor. She was always, it sounds like a bit of a toughie. Mm-hmm. And then just bad stuff and bad stuff and bad stuff kept happening to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now her brother's dead and her family's in mourning. Mm-hmm. And so, and she's now working for the golems and who she really likes. Like she, yes. she likes the golems and she sort of understands the golems. Yeah. Like in that one passage I read, she changes the, her whole tone with them. Yeah. And she talks about how like th- their work ethic and their like, the the fact that they're trying to free each other and she just it's something that she can sort of understand yeah there's a noble humanity there that she just doesn't see in humans exactly and it it's similar to but different enough Mm -hmm. from a type of character who's very cynical and good with dogs right but you know better and it all fits together nicely because we do need golems for the story to work and we right. do need a connection to the clacks and it's all great and yeah their flirtation it's so good because moist basically sees her as well what he does is he always cuts to what does this person want and how do i pretend that i can give it to them and he can't figure her out at all there's a great passage where he says that everyone has a lever like that and he Mm -hmm. can always find a way in and he can't find a way in with her Mm -hmm. and he feels like she's reading him better than he's reading her Mm -hmm. and he finds that just like super he's super super into it yep um and (laughs) <laughs> and he also said, and it doesn't help that she looks very good in a uh, extremely severe dress. Yes. Uh, so she's also like a hottie. Uh, mm-hmm. And she likes his energy and his constant, like, his daring. Right. The fact that he's always, like... He's and he always, latches on yeah. to that because then he starts, like... Uh, asking her out in a big crowd during a yep. crisis. Uh, when the post office burns, yep. they start dancing on the ashes, yep. and like, and she's kind of into it. And she has, they have, they share the same sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they both think. Well, that, they're both a bit cynical. Yeah, they, they both think these cynical, dark things are funny, mm-hmm. and they're both deeply intelligent and good at reading people. Mm-hmm. And so, having each other is great. Yes, and. She and him are always playing together. Yes. They're never on the opposite sides of things. He tells her his dumb bullshit and the stupid stuff he did, so it's not like a secret. Yeah, I'm like I said before, I'm glad that's not looming over their relationship going forward. Like she gets pissed off and then she's like, All right, that's you. Yep. And Next. She, and she knew like yeah. she it wasn't. She like didn't she, know specifically that it affected her, but she kinda knew she he knew was a bastard. Was, yeah, she knew he was bad yeah. and she liked him anyway yeah um and yeah it's just it's really it's really good it's playful and it's mean and it's funny yep and i buy it i absolutely i'm not sitting here going like why is she into him or why is he into her like this is like and we i get it you and i have disagreed on carrot and angua i think it's okay you don't that's fine uh there's vimes and sybil Mm -hmm. i think that's it like there aren't a lot of courtships anyway and those that we've gotten, I will even concede, are are, are pretty flimsy. Yeah. And 
this one's pretty solid. Yeah, no, this is a good one. I I enjoy this one. Yeah, and it's a it's a fundamental part of the book too. It's yeah. not just like a side note, like oh, and also there's a love story. Like it's it's connected to it all because she has a connection plot wise for a few reasons, but mm-hmm. also their personalities mesh, and it's all it's all very good. Yeah, no, I I really in, I really enjoy it. And despite the fact that this book is basically again, how come only one girl? Uh, there's Mrs. McAlariat, who is like she's like the lady who runs the counters. Yeah, at the once post they office. bring back all the post office people, she's like yeah, she's like and the office manager type. That is all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. And then so. there's some sort of like. Kind there's of, a couple of tiny side characters, but there's nothing. There's some lame jokes about turning a golem into a lady golem. No, I was thinking about there's a there's a nice little and it's this I am not defending this as like good, more representation. Mm-hmm. This is a little girl who appears for 5 pages. But there is a cute little cutaway to a specific Clax Tower mm-hmm. because at like he does a very good job and I want to go into this in a minute yeah. about like the subculture of of these sort of programmer types and how especially out in the sticks people will wander up to the towers and start learning and become one. And there's this little girl who they end up calling Princess, mm-hmm. who's who's one of these. And I thought that was a nice little, yeah. just like, this didn't have to be a girl, but it was. But there should have been more of that. But And that's nothing that, like I say, we cut to that two times during the book. Despite the fact that this is a How Come Only One Girl mm-hmm. book, the, the, the... Please, cock for us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh the Woodwoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite that, because she's such a strong presence in the book, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel so much like there there yeah. are no women because we have a fully realized character with motivations and a reason for being there. And she's right. not just there to prop Moist up. In fact, a lot of the time she's pushing him over. Right. Uh, and she's got her own thing going on. And yeah, so I, I really, really enjoy her. Yeah, same. Um Let's talk about Reacher Gilt, who is the villain of this book. Yes. I was completely unimpressed by him. This was almost my bad thing. It's just, he's like, Moist talks about how he's more than him. Yeah. Like, he's he's the same kind of person, only better. Like, Moist feels outclassed. Like, mm-hmm. he wants to sell all his belongings and study at his feet. Mm-hmm. But it's all tell, don't show. Like, it all is. of it. We see this character through the eyes of everyone else. We see how scared everyone is of him. We see... Vetinari reacting to him. And Vetinari is even a little cautious with Reacher, which is more than yeah, it's, most people. At the beginning get. of the book, it's yeah. set up like for the first time, Vetinari's got someone who could look him in the eyes yeah. who might be a challenge. But And he's this sort of um like bullshit libertarian character. Yeah. Who uh, believes in like absolute freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like some to, good yeah, social some, commentary yeah. there. There's some good stuff where he believes that you should be free to do like freedom without borders. It's like very, no boundaries. It's v- and we should talk about this as well, yeah. how the Klax is ob- an obvious analog for the internet. Yeah, it's just the internet. He's writing this in the early 2000s yeah. when the internet became huge. And he's like the early internet had so much of that. Mm-hmm. So much of this is the Wild West and we're going to do it different this time and the market will decide and people yeah. will do the right thing because they're good and all that and like, yeah, okay, whatever. I kind of bought into some of that at the time. But he, what I'm saying is I think that's like deliberate. He's like a message board troll from like 1999. You know what I mean? And as well as being that, he's also a con man. Like yeah. Reacher doesn't really believe in these ideals exactly or he believes in them somewhat but he also is just there to take money and win the way that's that's the way to motivate them the merchant bankers so that's it but i never really felt him as a character at all no he didn't there wasn't a whole lot there and we did spend some time over his shoulder like we spent some time in his evil party lair and Mm. but we did yeah you're right we didn't get it's always secondhand it's always his underlings are scared of him. Yep, we follow. He has an Igor, so yes. we follow his. Oh Igor. yeah, that was yeah. that was the other one. I yeah. was trying to remember the other example. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen an Igor so overwhelmed by the evil of the person he's he's serving that he bails. It's not just that; it's also he the Igors can he can sense that the pitchfork time is coming. That's been in a so bunch of the other books. He's out. That's been in a bunch of the other books, but it's it's also pointed out that like, we'll work for. Mad scientists yeah. or vampires or whatever. But this guy's still but a this, bit of a bastard. And it's like, okay, that's really interesting. But it's always tell. It's always like 
tell don't show because I didn't I never got a sense of that when he talked and that sequence with Igor was great the sequence with where Moist is saying no, all of the secondhand yeah, reactions are written are, are very well really good it's just we never get like Moist talking about how he's this master con mm-hmm. man we never saw one lick of that we heard that he took over the clacks but we never saw him do anything like that and yeah because all we met was the character of Reacher Guild. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, yeah, we ne- like the, the like the the fictional the fiction of right. Reacher. We never got to know the guy. Yeah. It, you're right. It felt a little hollow. And I'm gonna go ahead and make that my bad thing. I have yeah. a couple other things I didn't love, but that that was a big one. Yeah. Because we watched the movie, and we'll talk about that in a minute yeah. too. And we were like, oh, well, that he's nothing. And going back through the book, it's like, well, he's barely anything in the book either. Yeah. Now that I see it. And he pretends as a pirate, mm-hmm. I guess, which is like, I don't know. There's this whole joke where he's got a bird that says 12 and a half percent. Every time I read this book, I have to look that joke up because I can never remember that it means pieces of eight. Yeah. 12 and a half percent is eight, like an eighth, yeah. which is a piece of eight. And like, but it also feels like a joke that Terry Pratchett thinks is so clever that several people in the book say, oh, that's terrible. Like, he, I've used that trick. Mm-hmm. Look how clever I am. Everyone's Everyone talking about Everybody how looked. how grown worthy this joke is. Yeah. Okay, that's like too much. But as a, as a force, as a you know, as a as a like he's a catalyst, an inciting incident. Yeah. It's okay. And the whole what I like is this book about the post office is also about the clacks, which is another thing he's been building since uh, I think uh, Ooh, the Fifth Elephant. Yeah, quite some time. Because I yeah. think the towers were going out to Uberwald when. Like we started this, and it's yeah. we're like five books later. Like it's been going for a bit, and and Vetinari plays. Uh, yeah, basically, plays... Vetinari's plot is to turn the post office, like to to make the vi- the post office viable, mm-hmm. uh, so that there is competition between the post office and the Clax. Because right. right now, the Clax is a monopoly. There's only one Clax company, and it has pretty much its own. Yeah, it's and it shuts down way. whenever they want, and it's very unreliable, and it's, you know... Yeah, and now that people, you, are, dying. people are used to there being a Clax Tower, it would, it's like if all the cell towers went down, like, we would be okay. We Eventually, we would figure it out, but, like... Yeah, it like, would, in my it lifetime... Would be, it would be distressing. In my lifetime, we live just fine without, like, cellular phone technology existed, but only for, like, the very rich or yeah. only people in big cities like New York or someplace that had service. Like, most people didn't have them, and we were fine. And they were massive and hilarious. And now we don't know how to live without them. Yeah. Like, I get that. And the internet, too. Yeah. Same thing. Um, and I like all of that. Uh, we've talked about this already, but I liked how I like how it parallels the development of the internet. But also, at the same time, he's built this sort of medieval fantasy like mm-hmm. the the Ankhmore pork we started with was like you know a grubby like dark ages city and yes yeah, from fantasy times but i what i like is that we sort of leapfrogged over a bunch of stuff and suddenly they have the internet but they still don't have steam power they still don't have mm-hmm. cars they like there's a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't get in between well and, we've talked about this before there's a lot of sort of speculative fiction about what if this oh, sure. thing that people knew about but didn't sort of really use or didn't were missing. Well, yeah, there's one the famous like the Greeks basically knew how steam power worked kind of thing. Right, like, but they didn't have the ability to make it larger because of like they, right. they didn't have like the metallurgy skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and a lot but, of steampunk stuff's built on like yeah. what if Victorians had this or that, yeah. and that's cool. But what he's doing in his well-established fantasy world is what if they had the internet. But they still didn't have a bunch of the other stuff that we had before the internet. And it's super interesting because, yep. like, people don't have telephones. They don't have a way to directly reach people. But now they have ways to, like... And I guess it's telegraphs were like that, yeah. too. But it's still, like, it, it it's creates... Cool. It, and it's not a parallel anymore. It's not just, this is our world. Like, there's some good stuff he says about the internet. But it's... It's unique. not just the internet. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, his world building is going off in this weird tangent that I love. And we are gradually working to a point where this city will feel full on industrial revolution. Right. We're this by is the, sort of the first the late, steps. Yeah, of that. by the later books. Yeah, that's this is what this is. is the first big one. Yeah. And I love that. I love that we've seen the city grow from like, say, the thirteen hundreds to the eighteen hundreds and it feels Yeah, it was just a bunch of dirt natural. farmers. Right. And it feels natural. Yeah. I like all that. And a lot of that is veterinary. Yeah. Like he's straight pushing up and pushing and pushing. Him only. Yep. Um but there's there's a lot of specific stuff about how the clax works mm-hmm. and the and the, the the culture around it and all that. And there's another passage I highlighted. I am not going to read. It's just too long. Yep. 
about um, the GNU thing. The um, specifically, there's a there's a clax code that they send, and there's a reason they send a letter G and a letter N and a yep. letter U, and that's the part I'm not going to read because it's long passages, and it's it's very good. It's just very long, and but essentially what it means is you're keeping a dead person's name alive as long as you're as long as you're talking about someone they never really die right and so if you if you preface it with gnu and then put their name it's just a way for the name to sort of survive in the ether and it just keeps going through the towers over and over and over again and people keep sending it on because they know the tradition and it's a it's a pretty good bit that mm-hmm. i liked the first time but now yeah it has taken on a whole extra thing because when a lot of people talk about Terry Pratchett on the internet, when they mm-hmm. blog about him, when they write about him on Tumblr, on Twitter, whatever, they will tag it, GNU Terry Pratchett. And it's like, oh, yes. Yep. As long as his name so is good. still around, as long as people are still talking but about using, his work, he's not really dead. Using the thing from his work exactly the way he intended, intended it yeah. to, to keep his name alive is just so perfect. And I'm so glad the fandom has done that. And it's very, very good. Yep. It's a thing that, like, that passage, like, made me tear up. Like, whereas before, it's like, oh, that's sweet. Now it's like, oh, he's dead and I love him and so does everyone else. Well, in, in the book, it's about, a, we're talking about Adorabelle's brother who we've never met. Yeah, but met. I'm not attached yeah, to that we've person. we've never met him before and we'll never think about him again. It doesn't matter. But yeah. when you think about Terry Pratchett, this guy who gave us all of this yeah. beautiful work that mm-hmm. we love so much that we've read the books multiple times. And, and now we're doing a podcast, a podcast about, about it. it. Right, yeah. exactly. It's yeah, it's all it's all very very good. Um, is that all the clax stuff? Because I feel like there's a bunch we need to talk about, but I kind of I'm kind of like dividing it up. Yeah, into... they, they we talk about internet culture and some like they call them crackers. Okay, uh, that that's actually a thing I wanted to talk yeah. about. He in previous books we've called this out, kind of biting the hand that feeds him, yeah. kind of doing some shitty uh-huh, jokes nerds. about nerds. Yeah, but in this book, for the first time, I would say he does a very good job of. Two different subcultures of yep. nerds. Uh, there's pin collectors, yep. which are just any kind of collectors, comics uh, anything, or yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter. Who eventually become stamp collectors because Moist invents stamps. Right. Um, and uh, these, uh, what you were just saying. Yeah, the crackers. So these are guys who uh, have found ways to send messages without paying for them. And there's a great bit where they talk about... Um, they're they're stealing they're they're getting messages without paying, which is like stealing. Only it's not stealing, but it is stealing though. It's, it sounds it's, like a, a, an argument for torrenting. Yeah, it's, it's stealing though, and then they say, but it's it is stealing, but it's not a crime because no one knows it's happening. Right. Uh, so that also reminds me which, of the early days early of the internet, internet yeah, yep. where when everyone Napster just, blindsided yeah. everyone, and they're like, wait, you can you, steal you can music? Just steal? Stop stealing music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it feels instead of him saying, ha ha nerds, it's mm-hmm. more like, I understand and appreciate these subcultures. And also they're a little weird. Yeah. And also there's some stuff about them that's dumb and annoying, but it's not yeah. all just ha ha nerd. No, it's the like... book's position isn't these people are like to be mocked. It's these are strange characters, just like all the other strange yep. characters I'm presenting you with. And, and Moist uh, talks about it too, where there's a lot that he really likes about it because yeah. it's different from him. These people who know how machinery works and who are passionate about it, and so different than he who yeah. knows how people work. Yeah, but doesn't know how machines work and never really builds anything. Like he's fascinated by, and it's not just the like the nerds and the, the crackers and that. It's also um, companies that he works with to print the stamps. Like it's anyone right. who builds something and makes something and is like a solid person personality type he's it's he's fascinated by it because it's it's so so different than him unrelatable yeah right exactly no and i like all that and that's represented mostly through stanley Mm -hmm. who is like the the second postman there's two of them when he comes in yeah so there's groat who's like junior postman groat which i love because he's like 80 years old and a junior postman he's very worried about dying as a junior postman because he's worried he's gonna have to go to like postman heaven Mm -hmm. and they're gonna be like you're still wait what junior postman what I like is the the whole like the idea of the post office is this distant memory that has been kept alive through weird rituals and beliefs. Like he honestly there's believes, like a Masons group. Yeah, and he honestly believes in a foretold uh, chosen one who mm-hmm. will come and save the post. Who ends up being uh, moist, moist yeah. who probably picked up on a lot of that and played into it, but also it ended up being real. Yeah, he did I, do it. But it's it's a very good juxtaposition of. 
like I worked around civil servants for a long yeah. time and there are a lot of weird little things and like that and straight up religion or, you know, something like the well, Masons. Habit becomes tradition and then tradition gets this sort of sheen on it where it's not just a thing we've always done. It's a thing that's important that we do. Yes. Uh, and reading from the book of regulations, which is good wordplay. Yeah. And lighting the lamps and doing this and that and the other one. It doesn't matter because the post office is in shambles and it doesn't. It's a joke it's and nothing. no one's. Yeah. No one uses and it. No one's delivered the mail. When, when Moist gets yeah. there, no one's delivered the mail for decades. Yeah, but they still light, they've still filled the inkwells mm-hmm. that no one uses. Right, and I love all that. And then I love, this is another established from book one mm-hmm. thing that Terry Pratchett did a great, like, this is the world that I've built and this is how the rules work. All of these letters being in the same place, words have power. Mm-hmm. And all these words being stored in the same place over a long period it's of time. Dangerous. Have, it's like a library. Yeah. It's like the university's library. Only these are sort of like like ghosts because they have unfinished business, which is they haven't been delivered. And it's all very good. And a lot of the letters are uh, passionate. And there's a lot of emotion put behind them and yeah. intent put behind them, which, again, in this world... Infuses in, them with yeah, even greater power. Intent and emotion are right. what powers everything. And there's a very sweet bit where... Moist just says, what the hell? I'm going to pick a letter off the pile and go deliver it. I'm the postmaster. That's what that's my job. And this very old man gets the letter, and it is from this also very old woman, mm-hmm. same age, who he realizes, oh, she was into me after all. Well, it turns out we've both had other lives in the ensuing 50 years, and now our partners are dead, and now we can hook up again after all. Hooray! Yeah, why not? Yay. And that's the first big win that yeah. Moist gets, and it's very good. And it turns Grote around on him because he delivered a letter, which... Mm-hmm. And at first he's like, you delivered the mail? Yeah. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Yeah, but... But we don't do that here. Yeah. So let's talk about Grote, though, because isn't Uh, this your bad thing? Yeah, so there are things about Grote that I like. I like um, him I like everything about him being a postman. That's that's the stuff I like about it. But there's also a lot of comedy bits with him. Like, he's often our comedy Well, he loves his home remedies and his, his, like... Unguents and stuff, and I found all that stuff pretty tedious. Yeah, if that's and, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's that, and then there's some some other stuff with him that just goes on for too long. Like he's super messy, and Stanley's super neat, mm-hmm. and so they have an odd couple thing going. Yeah, on. they and have then, a, yeah. like a sitcom yeah. line down the middle of the room with and, the tea area and the neutral area. Yeah, I thought that was okay. That that was a, what I liked about that was Stanley. Like something fell into uh, mm-hmm. Stanley's side, and he just cut it along the lines mm-hmm. and tidied it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's a lot of him sort of going, what? I'm old, and these are my, these are my unguents, Yeah, it was more the, it was more the home remedies yeah. thing. He didn't play the old card. Like, it wasn't like Hoe and the Barbarian. Yeah, but there was, a, there was quite a bit of but that. There was a lot of, my socks are filled with this, and my underwear is filled with that. And like, then he has to go to the hospital because he gets attacked, and he's, like, mad that they took off his trousers. And But uh, there is a good bit. Like, I don't like all mm-hmm. of that either. But there is a good bit where all of the different things he has on his person mm-hmm. are the ingredients of gunpowder right. that he is inadvertently applied to the point where he is literally explosive. And that's pretty funny. Doctor Lawn is there. Yeah, nice uh, little cameo yeah. from Doctor Lawn. And he says, you know, don't he? He's very hell. If this couldn't kill him, nothing will. But maybe don't stand close to an open flame. Yeah. That was good, but yeah, most of the stuff was sticking sulfur in his socks and like... Yeah, okay, and a whatever. lot of it was long, too. And yeah. this, again, the pacing on this book, for the most part, is so good. No, and there's those so many... ground to a halt. And there's so many, like, side mm-hmm. tracks that are also good. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of just, like, footnote bits that mm-hmm. he's famous for that are just, like, hilarious and could have almost been a book mm-hmm. or at least a chunk of another book. And it's just like... Eh, this is just a passing gag. Don't worry about it because everything in this book is so good. And these stand out even more because of that. Yeah. And the pin stuff, normally that would have been the stuff that I sort of found tedious. But but it didn't. The the, the timing on that was good and it wasn't wasn't unendurable. It was pretty funny. Very quickly became a plot thing. Yeah. Because Moist, early on, he figures out the thing, the the lever, and he sees that Stanley's into pins. So he very quickly becomes an amateur expert on pins. Right. Just enough. To connect with him, not well, enough like superficially, like a con man. Like, would. Yeah, he he he. He doesn't buys, learn anything. He, he just reads some basic yeah. information to, and, to pepper some and goes to in. a shop. Yeah, and that's that's what a con man does. Just enough to just look enough. like it, and, but not enough to actually be doing work. Right, because the point is not, not to work. work. Right, yeah. exactly. So 
but that's all good. I you're right though about growth though. I don't I didn't love a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and like I say, it felt like uh, Pratchett was giving him like trying to give him another thing. Like mm-hmm. there's like a writer's there's like a writer's uh, yeah. technique where you'd never want anyone to just have one thing about them because they seem you know one dimensional. Terry Pratchett does plenty of that where it works fine. Yeah, but in this case, it feels like he's just like, well, Grote needs another thing besides just being a nah. postman, and he really didn't. No. The fact that he was a very old postman who's the one keeping the flame, like, that was enough. Yeah, and that was his lever, is being, like, not a junior postman anymore. Yeah, and and Moist plays to that very quickly. Yeah. And lets him wear the hat at one point. Like, he, he has a special gold suit with a fancy hat. He and... keeps promoting him, too. Yeah. And that means that Grote is engaged in keeping Moist as postmaster because Moist doesn't become postmaster Grote goes back to being junior postman. Yeah, and, and being recognized mm-hmm. by the dumb hazing thing mm-hmm. that they the other postmen have because if he's not recognized as postmaster, then it doesn't none count. of these titles matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um you have a you have, have you read the other passage yet? We're we're starting to come up on time. No, let me read the other passage and then we can sort of start okay. wrapping up. As much as this is another one honestly, any of these late books. Yeah, I everything could... going forward. I could just talk about for hours mm-hmm. and hours. Patrons should give us five hundred dollars, and then we'll wrote we'll read like a fucking yeah. We'll give you a five hour, hour if you yeah. really want a five hour yeah podcast about a ten hour book. Yeah, we'll 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 do it for enough money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll read the books to you. Why would you want that? There yeah, are there's a professional audio book that like, are really good. There are two good narrators who read <laughs> both of them, like yeah yeah. Okay, so this is when uh, Moist escapes. Uh, after he has been um, sort of told he's going to be postmaster. And the first thing he does, it's just like bolt. Mm-hmm. The planes lay ahead of them full of opportunity. And he was good at parlaying nothing into something. For example, at the first little town he came to, he'd go to work on this old nag with a few simple techniques and ingredients that would make it be worth twice the price he'd paid for it, at least for about 20 minutes or until it rained. 20 minutes would be enough time to sell it and with any luck pick up a better horse worth slightly more than the asking price. He'd do it again at the next town and in three days, maybe four, he'd have a horse worth owning. But that would just be a side show, something to keep his hand in. He'd got three very nearly diamond rings soon into the lining of his coat, a real one in a secret pocket in his sleeve, and a very nearly gold dollar cunningly sewn into the collar. These were, to him, what his saw and hammer are to a carpenter. They were primitive tools, but they'd get him back into the game. There's a saying, you can't fool an honest man, which is much quoted by people who make a profitable living fooling honest men. (laughs) Moist had never tried it, knowingly anyway. If you did fool an honest man, he'd tend to complain to the local watch, and these days they were harder to buy off. Fooling dishonest men was a lot safer, and somehow more sporting. And of course, there were so many more of them, you hardly had to aim. That's just a good, there's a bunch of really good con man uh, bits in this, and that was was just one of them I really liked. Not a character type he's done much with, so it feels like he's probably built up a lot of material. It's not like when he comes back to Vimes for the 50th time, what else is there more to say about cops? And he finds it, but, you know, it's probably a little harder than... Here's a fresh new thing with a whole bunch of like angles I haven't explored before. And actually, that's um, one of the things that I like about um, uh, American Gods is there's a character in there that's also sort of an old time con man mm-hmm. uh, where we see uh, a, a lot of that. But these they're very different. These are two very different right, right, right. characters. But uh, like a good con man character is pretty engaging to no and to watch and like we said his his redemption so so-called feels natural mm-hmm. also his big plan at the end totally works like but the biggest challenge to me like for any writer writing a character who's supposed to be impossibly clever is the big thing at the end the finishing number the finale has to be very clever and it's like how are you how are you possibly okay you did it and as well as that it's very in character because yes. it's something it's something bad. Like, what he does is not good. Uh, well, it's for the greater good, and it helps people, but He exposes it's what happen- all the bad things that happen with the clacks. Yeah. And he does this by fooling the public into thinking that these are the voices of dead men. Yeah, the ghosts of the people that the- they killed which making is, the clacks. Which is really not it's- very different from him tricking them into thinking the gods gave him the money that he stole. Right. But, you know. But this is, like... These are real people who have been hurt. Yes. And he's exploiting them. Yeah, he's exploiting them. He's emotionally manipulating them. He's using what he calls people skills. And yes, it's 
for a good reason, but it And it's showed, in their names. Yeah. But, but it's it, still, yeah. Yeah, but it shows that as a person, his core self hasn't changed. It's yeah. just how he uses it. Yeah. That Nari has, has found the right direction to yeah. point this tool. Just like Vimes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And it just, like, having a second example that is very different just goes that much further to show just how genius Vetinari really is. Um, real quick, we should talk about the Sky TV adaptation that came out about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we which we did refresh our memories on. We'd seen it before. Yeah. It's... We were really excited. When, well, by that point, was this the first one? No. I don't think so. I think Hogfather was the yeah. first one. I, I was excited because this is one of my favorite books, and I yeah. thought I would be excited to see all my friends, even if it wasn't very good. There were some inspired casting choices. Charles Dance as Vetinari was fantastic. Oh my god, We when we watched it again, every time he came on the screen, we just stopped what we were doing and watched it again. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, the golems were a bit iffy, but like, you know, sort of a Doctor Who kind of, I get what they're going for there kind was of thing. A gu- sort of a guy in a suit and then some, also some animatronic stuff, I think, or some puppetry. Uh, I honestly think they would have got, could have gotten away with no moving mouth because yeah. some of them are described that way. I think trying to make the mouth move was a mistake. It looked bad. There's this thing that a lot of, and it's not just, um... Discworld stuff. All of the Discworld adaptations have had this, mm-hmm. but also there's a there's a really funny series called uh, the Bleak Shop of Stuff. Yep. That's sort of a Dickens parody. Really good with uh, Robert Webb and some other good people, mm-hmm. and uh, that has this problem and other things do too, which is this ever present Danny Elfman sound alike music, just nonstop tinkling bells and yeah, exhausting and it's just not good. And it never stops; like it doesn't let up for an instant. No, and every time you think it's reached the most mm-hmm. it's more Ugh. but the worst part by far was moist the the Ooh. casting on moist and this guy might be funny he might be a good actor but he was not well cast for this role he played it really broad mm-hmm. and i didn't buy anything he was doing like i he, you you don't have to be smart to play smart like mm-hmm. i'm not saying you need to hire an extra genius but you need to no. play have someone to play smart right and he didn't seem very smart or very clever he seemed like charming he was, yeah either. he wasn't charming either like i was watching it the first time and i'm like why don't i want to fuck moist <laughs> yep like that wait a minute that's now, not right now for adora bell the look was good she looked great and but, the actor was good yeah but they took away a lot of what made her yeah interesting. they made her sort of petulant mm-hmm. and they made her like actually trying to stop moist in, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like a they were actually fighting each other and then they came together at the end like right. in that gross sort of romantic comedy way yeah it wasn't they weren't playing together the whole time and right. so i didn't like that um yeah, yeah. No, it, it i didn't i didn't care and yeah, she wasn't she wasn't tough right. at all she was fake tough and adorabelle isn't fake tough she's no. real tough I could see this, though, being sort of the gateway drug. Like, if this is mm-hmm. your first exposure to Discworld, you would check out the books mm-hmm. and say, oh, that movie was garbage. But Angua looked great. Ang- yeah, Angua had a, had a cameo, yeah. and she looked good. There was, she I looked, mean, yeah, very much like little, I picture her. Little here and there, there were good things. Yeah. The, the production design was good. I thought things looked a little too on-the-nose Victorian. Yeah. Like, it just looked like I was watching A Christmas Carol, where... And this would have been harder and more expensive, probably, because Victorian stuff already mm-hmm. exists, and you just use existing sets and costumes and stuff. But it just looked like 1850. Yeah. Like, try to make it a little more... Oh, and Moist's gold suit yeah, was, was awful. Just... It wasn't shiny at no, all. No, Which was, like, the only thing about it was it was sparkly. Yeah. And it wasn't. No. Like, why? It was supposed to look like a theater costume on purpose, and yeah. I think they were trying to make it look like a real thing. And the whole point was... Uh, it was Pump, over the top. Uh, Pump asked uh, his golem, like fellow golem who did costumes for theater, mm-hmm. to make this thing. So it was made as a costume, not as a suit. And the show took the stance that, well, he's got to walk around it and in real life so it should look like real clothes. I'm but like, th- no. It, it's like a con man thing again where look at the look at the um, the trappings, don't look at the person. Right. And Moist really liked it because it meant everyone was looking at his gold suit, not at him. And it's just a yellow suit that's yeah. a little shiny. That's not the same thing. Yeah, that was, that, I found that, like, that was one of those things that actually really kind of bugged me. I was like, yeah. this this does that's not a, get that's the- That's a big part of the- Yeah, this does not get the point. If you're representing the book visually, mm-hmm. that is a huge visual thing from the book. Mm-hmm. So I get that. All right, any final thoughts? We're, we're running a bit late here. Um, 
I think the last thing I wanted to talk about is there is a sequence, and this has really nothing to do with anything in the book. Okay. Uh, but uh, Adorabelle is at the a, is at the men and drama at the tavern. And yeah, this being, is their first yeah. date. And she's being bothered by a drunk guy who wants to kiss her. And she basically shoves her heel into like his inner thigh mm-hmm. and says, get out of here or the next one's going into your dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Moise says, oh, that sort of seemed harsh. And Adorabelle turns on him and says this thing that is so cutting. She says, yes, that's a thing that men say, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I read it and I was like, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that, I mean, this is one of his later books. He was probably in his late 50s or maybe 60s -hmm. at this point, like a 60-year-old white dude. Yeah, you get it. Writing that for a young woman Mm -hmm. is very insightful. Like, you got to give him extra credit for that. That's that's some good. And again, it's just a character thing. Like, the character is a very real character who is experiencing things. It's great. No, it's quite good. All right, anything else? A hundred things, but we need to go. We need to move on. All right. So the cliche count, uh, pretty light, but. Mm -hmm. So let me give you the numbers first, and Mm -hmm. then there's there's sort of an asterisk here. Two ginger leaves, Mm -hmm. one susurration, one surreptitious, three quantums, Mm -hmm. no something that happens to other people. Almost all of these happened all in a row in the same passage. Yes, In the same two or three pages, because we were listening in the car, and all of them came on top of each other. It's Mm -hmm. like, he was aware of all his Mm -hmm. things, and it's like, okay, I have a contractual obligation to this podcast that will exist in 10 years. Here you go, future guys. Mm -hmm. To, here's all my boxes checked, now let's move on. (laughs) We started doing a pantomime thing where it says gingerly, and like, how did he do it? Mm -hmm. Gingerly! Yep. Uh, So what about the pune or play on words? Okay. Moist paused. He was erratically good at math, which is to say he could calculate odds and currency very, very fast. There had been a geometry section in his book at school, but he'd never seen the point. Okay, so it's time to go. The point. Terrible. (laughs) Just terrible. Uh, So what's your grade? A plus. I love this book. It is, ooh, I really have to think about it, but it's in my top three. It's Mm -hmm. so good. I give it an A. Uh, There's a couple of things saving it from A plus, like mainly the uh, presence of a great villain. Yeah. Like, good enough villain, but could have been better. More of a force of nature than a person. Yeah, but we know Terry Pratchett can write good villains. Yeah. So he could have, like, he's, I'm judging this on the fact that I know he could. And Do for, better, for, yeah. For every other part of the book, he is firing mm-hmm. on all cylinders. It's weird that this is the one place where he kind of didn't put a lot of effort in. So it's still an A, though. Like, still very, very good. Yep. Um, Next time, however, he- spoiler. It's going to be an A+, because the next book is my favorite book. It's very good. It's not, not my favorite, but it's very, very not good. Not just my favorite watch book. Not just my favorite Discworld book. Maybe my favorite book. And I I am not the reader that I should be. I should read more. But it, this one speaks to me in a lot of very important ways. It's really good. It's so, so good. It's Thud. It's, it's another watch book, and it's very good. Uh, that's coming next time. Uh, anything else? Nope. That's it. All right. This has been a co-production of Ron Algarwad and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2020 and 2021. For full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcasts.com. And for access to our show notes, bonus photos, advanced copies of episodes, and even the opportunity to pick something for us to review, consider a donation at patreon.com slash algar. That's A-A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening. <laughs>